This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Mopac Audio. I realized that he, he drank too much. Both of my daughters are diagnosed with a very rare genetic condition he forgets to give him medication, which is extremely important. You realize it's never gonna change, ever. The decision was, I just wanted to be free. I didn't want to be a slave anymore. I didn't want to be controlled anymore. Open Group Therapy calls on a revolving cast of members each week to complement the work of renowned psychologist, Dr. Matthew Paradise. Each episode focuses on one person's experience. You'll hear that person interacting with peers in the group whose names they might not even know, but whose counsel and compassion are impactful nonetheless. You'll also hear that person speaking in private with Dr. Paradise. This is a time when Dr. Paradise can discuss the group experience as it relates to the individual. Dr. Paradise uses a mixture of direct questioning along with humor to both support and challenge the group. He provides an attentive ear, but will also call someone out. Dr. Paradise speaks openly and expects others to do the same. Only through this kind of open dialogue can real growth occur. I think that people come and they sort of self-dose with group. So some people, a single group, and I've even gotten this feedback. I, I've had a member come for one time, and then I get an email three months later talking about how much they were helped by just knowing that other people were going through the same thing, and maybe one thing that was said in group was really valuable to them, and that they're doing great, and they just wanted to let me know, and thanks for having the group. I've had other people that come to group every single time for months and longer. Probably the most common story is somebody comes maybe every group, and that would be roughly every two weeks, for a couple of months, and then they start staggering. And then what I really love, and we've seen this a lot in the members we've had recently, is people coming back months and years afterwards with a desire to contribute. Oftentimes when people are helping other people, they're also reminding themselves of what they learned. So when you come back as a veteran, and you're telling somebody else how to get through, say again, your partner having an affair, you're reminding yourself of what you did. It, it's like a booster shot. 
In this episode, Mary spent 16 years married to a man who hid his alcoholism to everyone but her. She finally was able to split from him, but with finances now extremely tight, she struggles to parent two daughters, one of whom faces a grave illness. Coming up in a moment, Mary shares her own experience with a toxic ex-husband. My name is Mary. I'm going to chime in for the topic of a crazy ex. So um, I was married for, well, we were together for, my goodness, about 16, 17 years. And um, uh, he became an addict. And uh, we, we went through the whole shenanigans with the um, a treatment at a, at a facility. Uh, and then trying to go into therapy uh, to kind of restore the marriage, which did not work out because um, I found out that a lot of times uh, addicts, when they get off their addiction, uh, they, they be become worse. <laughs> and that was the case. And, and he was worse in the marriage. Yes, because, because his drinking uh, really kind of uh, made him calm and a lot of his personal issues that came out later were dormant in a way. Um, uh, he, he has a narcissistic controlling personality. I, I got to find out after many years of marriage and I decided to file for a divorce. Uh, my my ex-husband is a lawyer, so my divorce was a very, very long, complicated, extremely expensive uh, process. Yeah, so I, um, the, the, the whole divorce lasted a little less than two years, and uh, the judge signed the papers uh, I would say about two and a half years ago. So it's been it's been two and a half years when we officially separated. Uh, I'm still struggling financially because of that, and uh, co-parenting is the biggest issue. Uh, my ex-husband relapsed, um, from what I understand, and he's deteriorating quickly. And uh, one of the biggest issues is that my daughter, actually right now two, both of my daughters are diagnosed with a very rare um, genetic condition and one of them is also uh, being diagnosed with um, a brain tumor so we're like going through a lot of medical things and uh, um, there is a big issue of trust trusting my children when they're with him because he drinks mm -hmm. and trusting my, my children with him because he forgets to give them medication which is extremely important Mary's both very helpful to other group members in that she's articulate and has a lot of good things to say, but it's clear she's also there because she's struggling, especially with co-parenting her children and her concerns about her children and her sense of powerlessness as a, as a parent who shares the responsibility for these kids to, to maybe do what she thinks she needs to for them. That was her primary concern, I think, coming in but she's also dealing with a new relationship and negotiating the boundaries around that relationship. And she seems to be doing that in an unconventional way. So I think she's, she's there to offer help, but she certainly has things she's thinking about for herself as well. Now let's listen to what Mary and Dr. Paradise talked about on their own. So um, 
You were married to a guy who was self-destructive, right? Yes. High-functioning. Very high-functioning. Well he was a lawyer. lawyer. Uh, he built a very good career. He drank only on weekends uh, for a very long time because the first stage of alcoholism, you, you, can, you can control things, sort of. Uh, when he spiraled down, that's when it was kind of started getting out of control. Sure. But he usually drank only on weekends. Uh, and, um, you know, get up and go to work and did really well. So what was that like to be married to somebody to the outside world? Looked like a superstar, right? Yes. Yeah, he, I'm sure he, he got tried a lot of... to maintain a certain image of himself. Yeah. yeah. But you, you knew it wasn't perfect. I, well, I think I was not fully understanding the scope of, of the issues. Mm-hmm. And when I, I realized that he, he, he I, th- I felt he drank too much. Mm-hmm. But when I started talking to his family and my friends, when I tell people he drinks during the weekends, everyone would just laugh at me. I mean, he's not an alcoholic. They've seen him before. They've never seen him extremely drunk. Uh, he's... Excellent. He has excellent communication skills. Yeah, Everyone sure. loved him. Yeah. So no one believed me for many, many years. We've tried going to therapy a few times, and those few times, uh, the therapist would pick up issues right away. Okay, so they saw through it. They yes, they did. So usually, would take a, a session or two, and after that, he would stop going. Okay, so once somebody so he never really progressed to anything. Once somebody had his number, yeah. he wasn't real interested in yeah. talking to them anymore. So that again, that must have been really hard for you to have this public impression of him as as this high achieving terrific guy and you're at home suffering with a, a, a burgeoning alcoholic it was difficult definitely um i mean i had a job and i think i tried to put a lot into my my work i'm i used to be a teacher at schools mm-hmm. and um i really tried to spend a lot of time giving a lot to children i didn't have my own at that time Okay. Uh, after I had my own, that's when it was. Do you think that was a, a distraction for you? Um, I think at some point I tried to emotionally detach myself from him okay. because we did end up living like roommates pretty much when he moved out to a room above the garage and, and oh, myself wow, okay. myself and the kids were lived in a different part of, of the house. And it was all under the pretense, well, you know, you had a child, so you kinda you need to mm-hmm. sleep and yeah, all yeah. that sort okay. of stuff. But, but underneath that, there was some distance between you. Yes. Yeah. So the distance was building okay. through the years. Could you relate to any of the other stories in the room of the people with uh, destructive exes? I do. It was really interesting because all of us in the group kind of meshed up, right? Yeah. <laughs> it looks it? like a lot of us were codependent. Yep. We had uh, exes with control issues. Yep. And some of them had exes with addiction yep. issues. So it definitely seems like it's the same kind of pattern for a lot of us. Yeah. And it's validating to hear other people who've gone through the same thing, right? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Because I've heard from so many people... Well, he's just fine. Well, why, why are you divorced? Like they did not see that through, and yep. having people with similar experiences is very validating. And now let's go back to the group. How do you 
make up for another parent's inadequacies with your own parenting? You can't. You can't. Oof. What I do, and my kids are, or at least one of them, because I have an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. So the 11-year-old who's more sick than, than the 6-year-old, she is at the you know, stage where she understands consciously a lot of the things that are going on, the consequences. Um, she has an okay relationship with him. They fight. We, we, we don't have those issues at home. Mm -hmm. And there were some things that decisions, educational decisions, we completely disagreed. He said one thing, and I think it should be completely opposite. And, she, and my daughter came to me, and I just I tell her how I feel. Uh, I tell her that, you know, your dad doesn't want you to, to go to that school and she asks why and I, and I tell her, I'm not sure you need to ask him that, but he voiced out he's against that. I am okay with you going to the school and if you want us to make a decision, you know, he is, my voice is, is not enough for him to make a decision, so it's going to be on your side to talk to him and figure it out. And that's the best I can do. I can't, fighting with him or going legal, I think is going to complicate everything. And there are a lot of things that I kind of had to let go, so I guess I, I pick my battles. Yeah. And at this point, I started to involve my, my, my oldest one into my thought process and into my decision process so that she, she, she's, is, she's not out of the loop, you know? She's like, oh, I want to go to school, but you're not letting me. So I'm explaining to her why this is happening. And, and I don't know if it's a good thing. And one of the things I, I see parents do is they, they raise resilient kids. So they raise kids that can succeed even in suboptimal environments. So um, they raise kids who maybe know to do their homework even if the other parent isn't following up on homework or they know uh, to make sure to wear warm clothes, whatever it is. But uh, trying to control the other parent's behavior is an is a exercise in futility. One of the biggest struggles that um, divorced parents have is that they really do give up control over how the other parent parents their children. And many of them believe while they're still married that they have a little bit of a say in it, right? And I, I think this is more prominent for moms than dads, but not always. And what she should be focusing on is what she's doing when the kids are with their dad. She should be having fun. She should be traveling. She should be having positive experiences without her kids. And that's hard. But I find that the weekends without their children are where a lot of the healing comes from a divorce. It's, it's the stepping away from the whole system and creating some new set of friends, some new set of activities that really pushes somebody forward. Tell me about having kids with this man that was bad enough that you needed to get away from. Um, and now he probably has um, more influence on your life than anybody else. But yet um, you guys uh, were so distant that you had to get a divorce. Yes, he definitely, children is the only thing he can control at this point mm -hmm. to get to me. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's a big, uh, big issue in my life. 
Um, growing, well, raising kids with him before was me doing all of the work and he You just, had a traditional marriage that way? Sort of, meaning that he definitely made more money yeah. than me, yeah. uh, but I, I also worked, okay. right? So even, it was even sort after, of a even, partnership even financially. Yes. Okay. So you both uh, I had did jobs. take I did take some time off uh, for for a little bit with the first child. I was home for about a year, maybe slightly more. Okay. And with the second child, I tried to go back to work when she was about four months old. I lasted about three months. Uh, at that point, I just could not juggle everything, yeah, and yeah. that's that's when he started. He's drinking deteriorated, so I couldn't juggle everything, and Do you I think quit. Those, those were connected in some way. I definitely see with the birth of the second child, it, it was some sort of a trigger okay. that he started drinking heavily, like depression. But it was also circumstantial because he really hated being a lawyer. Mm. He had to work a lot of hours. He he went into the profession for the money, not really because he liked yeah, yeah. it. So for years he was complaining and I was telling him, we just quit. That's okay. We don't yeah. need that much money. We can manage. We can, you know. Yeah. Um, and he finally did. And that happened um, right before the baby was born, the second baby was born. And it was a, about 30 to 40% cut, which I still think, uh, you know, it's still was pretty still good amount of money. money. Yeah, sure. yeah, I, yeah. You can manage. Yeah. But between his anxieties about, he has a lot of anxieties about finances mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and sort of looking like a failure, you know, like I've tried to be a lawyer and I couldn't. And now I have this job where I pay, where I'm paid you know so much a lot less okay uh i think that was probably partially a trigger or kind of a thing so that, that was meaningful to, in the downfall yeah, yeah and then the having the baby all of it together okay. so triggered him into a spiral down so one of the things that that you heard in the group was that um uh it's not selfish to take care of yourself yes it's not <laughs> Well, I mean, there is an extent to everything, right? I think it would be selfish to live your child sick at home. It's like, oh, I'm going to go do yoga and you just lay here, right? But I think there was, for me personally, there was a definitely an extreme uh, to the point that I was giving so much to yeah. my own kids, to yeah. kids at school, to uh, my ex-husband trying to fix them. And I did not take care of myself. I yeah. got sick, you know, stress was there. Um, and I just, I had no time. I felt that I was a slave. When we went through therapy, I, mm -hmm. that was the feeling. I, I told them and I actually announced my decision to divorce him in the therapy session how'd that go and did not go from either the therapist or my ex but i felt that everything i've tried just puts me more in a position of a slave yeah, yeah. and i just wanted freedom that was my decision a lot of people think i divorced him because he he was drinking but the decision was i just wanted to be free i didn't want to be a slave anymore i didn't want to be controlled anymore and now let's go back to the group you finally reattached on something. You realize it's never gonna change, mm -hmm. ever. I did, um, I took steps. Mm -hmm. um, because my ex was an addict, I started attending 
a lot of um, like 12-step meetings, yeah, Al-Anon, and Al-Anon, different meetings. So I, I realized, because I, you know, I mean, he's been drinking for a while, and we were together for 17, 16-ish years, and I never thought of a divorce until the last five, probably. And so I was attending a lot of those meetings that were free at that time mm-hmm. when he got into a rehab. I just had a baby, and I didn't work. So I had no money, that, and that's free. Um, and I realized I'm a codependent person. And Can kind you tell, of, tell everybody what that means to you. Uh, to me, it means that my whole well-being depends on the emotional state of another person. Okay. So I always look at him. Is he going to come home angry if he does? my whole well-being changes. It's a lot of fear, it's a lot of anxiety. So in a way, I had no no power over myself. He Mm -hmm. had the power over me and my emotional state. Um, And so going to meetings, not just CODA, codependent meetings, I have a variety of meetings, made me realize, oh, well, I'm sort of sick too, in a way. And, to do certain things um, that they suggested to help me to come to a decision to divorce him. Although I really tried to, you know, save mm-hmm. the marriage. We went to therapy three times a week. Um, another thing that helped me uh, after I filed for a divorce, which was me, um, they, in the meetings they suggested at least for a year, do not date anyone because that's one of the mm. one of the biggest problems. And I see among my friends who divorced and and you know re- quickly remarried, and I'm like, ooh. Um, so I really didn't want to get another because this is my second husband, and this is the same issue. It's just, it's like a you know yes, you repeating circle. circle right? <laughs> um, so I just wanted to make sure I don't get a third one like that, and I. Did not date roughly for about a year and a half, and all free time that I had because sometimes kids were gone, they were with him. All the that free time I had, I I tried to look for either meetings or you know like yoga or meditation or some kind of self development events in the city. So all of that free time I had, so I don't sit at home and like cry or. I, I tend to be more anxious or have an anxious attachment. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I can like, oh, stories, I can get crazy in my head. So I, I went to all those meetings and it really, I don't think there was one thing that worked. It's just a combination of different things. Uh, and I, I sort of got more strength to, um, to leave my past in the past. Yeah. I'm really and glad stop you stop thinking about him. I'm glad you mentioned the not dating part because it it's, yeah. it comes up all the time in group. Like people falsely believe that the the thing that's going to get them over the old relationship is a new relationship, but that's a that's a dangerous proposition mm-hmm. because most of us are compromised in one way or another when we come out of the relationship. We're not our best selves. And we're not going to attract the best partner. And, and you risk attracting somebody very similar to the person you were with and it didn't work out with. So that time is really critical. 
Now let's listen to what Mary and Dr. Paradise talked about on their own. So how do you think moving into, and I'm not, I'm not putting you into dating relationships, Seth. I'm yeah. even talking about parenting your kids and, and any kind of relationship. You're going to be able to be in relationships without falling into that codependent slave role. So I've dated, uh, and I think on my point, I'm so aware. So I, for, first, I took a year and a half off dating, right? I yeah. While going through the divorce, which lasted almost two years, I was going to a lot of groups, self-help groups. Right, right. You told me about a lot of time. anonymous. So I just made yeah. sure that I'm not dating. And I think the awareness of my behavioral patterns came to me to a degree. So when I actually started dating, I think I overdid it. So the was, other I went the other direction. When I, when I saw the red, that red flags, I just would just like go for the ballistic <laughs> and pe- scare people. Uh, but I think I was too aware and not letting people explain themselves. The first sign of a red flag, I'm like, that's it. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so at some point, I, I, I feel I came to a certain balance when mm-hmm. I see red flags, or at least they seem to me as red flags. I'm like, well, that's okay. You don't need to freak out now and, you know, kill him yeah. right there, <laughs> but just kind of let time show more. Yeah. Um, I think I got to that point. So you're a little bit more patient. Yes. And evaluating yes, relationships. Yes, but I'm, I'm, I try to stay aware, and I do a lot for that. I do a lot of journaling. Like if I go on a date, I which now I'm, I'm dating someone. We've been dating for about two years. But I used to go on a date and then like journal and kind of process and see, well, I'm to feeling give this you, way. To step back and, and think about it outside of the interaction itself. Yeah, yeah that's real helpful. Mm-hmm. There's often a juxtaposition between the roles that a group member plays in terms of supporting other people and working on their own stuff. And and Mary really demonstrated that, that at times she was very strong and confident and uh, supportive to another person and seemed very resolute about how she was feeling and and what she was thinking. And at other times she was really vulnerable and, and even moved to tears about things in her own situation and I think that's a reflection of how a lot of people feel as they go through the divorce process. There are times when they're strong and solid and know what they need to do and other times where they're they're really unsure and, and very vulnerable and Mary showed us both of those. Thank you for listening to Decoupling, Group Therapy with Dr. Paradise. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Also, Dr. Paradise would love to hear your questions or comments. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at DecouplingPod or on Facebook on the Decoupling Podcast page. Decoupling Group Therapy with Dr. Paradise is a Mopac audio production. Producers are Chris Moss, Shannon McGarvey, and Jonathan Beal. Editing and music composition by Blake Maples. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.